You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. All right, so we're back in Genesis, still in Genesis. I want to cover kind of last time, uh, last week what we saw, which was, if you remember, Isaac was born, right? This, this promised son finally delivered to Abraham and Sarah. There was a laugh of joy, no longer of doubt. Uh, and so we see a son was gained. Uh, Ishmael, right, uh, uh, another Abraham's son, is gone and the son uh, was lost. Today we'll be starting in Genesis 22, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles. And today we're going to see what Abraham's life had been building towards. It was the uh, climactic event in the patriarch's life for sure. One that I'm sure you know, you've probably heard the story before of Abraham and Isaac. And it's a story that testifies to the faith that had developed within that family. Uh, if you are a note-taker, I have three points for you. It's God's plan, God's provision, and God's perspective. Let us go ahead and pray. God, thank you for allowing us to come here and be together, uh, rejoicing uh, with what you've done. Lord, we're here to worship you. Um, you are the cause of our song, and Lord, I just ask that this time that we devote to you, Lord, that we can hear your word, and that, Lord, it will cause um, correction and repentance, and that it can cause in our heart and stir up us in us a, an awe for you and to marvel at your majesty and your greatness. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing we're looking at is God's plan. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes, uh, I know my plan, I have a plan for myself, uh, typically, right, from, from when I graduated high school, I had a plan, and I, often, right, our plans for our lives, for our family, look very different than what God has in store for us. Um, we make plans for the future, right? We make plans for days and weeks. If you're like me, I have an Excel sheet where I try to map out my day by 30-minute segments, and I love making Excel sheets, organizing my day and my weeks. I do the bits, which is what all I can do to keep up with things, because if not, I'll forget it. And I get really irritated uh, when, I, when my plan doesn't go according to plan, right? When my Excel sheet gets messed up. Uh, but often, I think uh, we, we become irritated, just generally in life, because it says if God sometimes comes along and seemingly kicks over our plans that we spend so much time making, and this is kind of what's going to happen to Abraham as his plans are greatly interrupted. And life was going well for him. Years had gone by since last chapter. He's living life as a dad. And, and then something comes upon him. God gives him a test to see exactly the strength of his faith. Look at verse 2 of chapter 22. It says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You can imagine being Abraham, getting this message first thing in the morning. And, you, and I, if I were him, I would be thinking, all right, you want me to do, wait, what did you say again? You want me to sacrifice my son as a burnt offering? You mean that figuratively, surely. You don't mean that literally. Like, that's not real. What do you really mean? I, I would imagine that questions are swirling around in Abraham's mind. And look what God does, right? Look at the repetition. Take your son, right? It's like, it's like the knife enters into the heart of Abraham. Take your son. Remember that son that was promised to you? Remember the one that 
caused Sarah to laugh and doubt? That son which brought you great joy? That sweet, promised miracle? Take your son, he says, your only son, Isaac. You've already lost Ishmael, Abraham. This is your only kid. Take your only son. It's like God is turning the knife a little bit, isn't it? And finishes with the child whom you love. As to remind him of how horrible and almost how impossible this task is going to be. Again, I'm sure Abraham is confused and perplexed. Remembering the, the promise God made. I mean, he's probably sitting there going, wait a minute, I thought it was through my son that, that a, a people would be born that would bless the world. That, that my descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. What happened to that promise, God? That's the deal we made. This, this wasn't the plan. My son was supposed to live. From a human perspective, it was as if God was turning back on what he promised, turning back on his word. And human reason would tell Abraham to question everything. God's character, God's promise. Now, we're not privy to what Abraham said back to God in that moment or how Abraham told Sarah. I can't imagine that conversation, right? Abraham going back to Sarah saying, all right, just hear me out. I got to go kill Isaac. God told me to. I can't imagine how that dialogue would go. I, I, just, I imagine her being like, did you tell him no? If it was, if it was I think it was my wife, the way she would respond is like, uh, did you tell him that's not acceptable? That's what she always says. That's not acceptable. That's what I imagine. But we don't see how that plays out. We don't see that inner dialogue in the home. All we see is how the family responds, which is in beautiful obedience. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Now, no matter the doubt in dad's heart, Abraham, his faith allowed him to take the first step to go towards the place that God commanded him to go. The Lord said, you need to go, and so he goes in accordance with God's direction. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I imagine the journey to be quiet. Each step they make, Abraham wondering if this is a mistake. With each step, the closer they got, faith is going to have to increase. I think that many of us, when asked, if we were to ask about the strength of our faith, we probably would see it as strong. I think when I read the, the early New Testament church and I see what they went through, the martyrs that they were, I'd like to think, yeah, I would stand in the face of that trial without running, without failing. I think oftentimes we are probably overly confident in how strong our faith is until we get to the place where our faith is really put to the test. And Abraham's about to see it. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Now the servants 
are not aware, as far as we know, what God commanded uh, Abraham to do. But I want you to hear what Abraham told them in verse 5 there. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Either Abraham is intentionally lying to his servants, or he's quite confident that Isaac will, in fact, return with him. Now, Scripture actually tells us what's going on in his mind, and I want to come back to that. But what I want you to notice now is that this sacrifice that they were going to make, Abraham calls it worship. Worship to God. Their sacrifice, an outpouring in response of God's faithfulness. This was not a sacrifice of self-gain. right? For Abraham to worship in the way that God commanded him, it was going to cost what he held most dear. For Isaac to worship in the situation, it would cost him his very life. This wasn't done for the applause of men. The servants were behind them. This was genuine, real, sacrificial worship between them and the Lord. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Abraham An old man, he's not carrying the wood himself. Rather, the wood is placed on the back of the son of his boy. The son carries the wood for the burnt offering up the mountain of the Lord. The father carries the tools to kill him and crush him. Together they walked. Each step they got closer. Faith will have to grow. We saw last week that our sins test the faithfulness of God, and each time he comes through again and again and again. But now it's the faith of Abraham that has to be tested. Think about it. Just a chapter before, right? The boy was born into the world. A feast was thrown uh, because he survived his first three years. But now he's a young man, a teenager perhaps. You can imagine with each step, Abraham is thinking about the life with his son, his life with his boy racing through his mind, and I'm sure it was hard to look at him, but at the same time, impossible to look away. And the question is, is Abraham going to do it? Is he going to kill his son? But I think a better question is, is why would God even ask him to do this? Doesn't it seem awfully cruel for God to ask Abraham to kill his son? A human reason would tell you this is deeply unreasonable. He agrees. God's plan, listen, for your life and for Abraham's life may differ in the details. But it's identical in execution. Abraham's faith is being tested where he was most likely to establish an idol. I want you to hear this. Please listen. Abraham's faith is being tested where he's most likely to establish an idol. What is the one thing that Abraham would fail to trust the Lord with? It's not his wife. 
He'd been trying to get rid of her since chapter 12. Twice! It wasn't, it wasn't uh, his, his wealth. He, he gave a portion of that to Lot, just so we can reconcile with him. But his son, that's a completely different story. His child that he had waited for, his future. Could he trust God with something so precious to him? Often this is how we find the idols in our life. When something becomes too precious to us, that we are unable to trust God with it, that's when you know you have an idol. And it's strange to think that a child can become an idol, but they do all the time. When the obligations to your kids become so burdensome that it prohibits you to being obedient to the Lord, you're there already. When your identity becomes primarily that of a parent, you're there already. And just a side note, when you put divine pressures and expectations on kids that they were never meant to carry, I promise you it will crush them because they will fail you. And somehow we as the parents, we become the victim because our little deities disappointed us. In this story, Isaac is not carrying some sort of impossible expectation up that mountain. He's not carrying the impossible burden that his dad has somehow placed upon him. He is willing to do this. He's carrying out in faith what Abraham asked him to do. Both Abraham and Isaac are sacrificing because they love and trust their dad. The reason this story sounds so strange and I think almost unreal to us is because, like, who would do this? Really, who would do this? I think, I think it's because many of us have no clue, truly no clue, about obeying God no matter the cost. I mean, you know your life. You can look at it. Yeah, we'll obey as long as it's not too crazy. Sure, I'll be obedient as long as you're not asking too much of me. I can't dig that deep. I'll sacrifice as long as I benefit a little. Maybe even the feeling of self-righteousness, that could do it. When Julie and I were in Taiwan, we met many Chinese Christians who sacrificed in devotion. When I say it changed my life, I can't quite comprehend enough. This has been 15, 16 years ago. And I'll never forget it. Because in, in the shadow of these saints, I realized how weak I was. Like, I, I didn't know what sacrifice was. I had no clue. I was spoiled. Both these two women, one of them was 16 years old. She converted maybe two years prior. She was in this small town outside of Taipei, which is the capital of Taiwan. And this, uh, it was a small little village and it was very poor. And this 16-year-old, two years prior, had to make a choice. At 14 years old, at 14, a child herself, she had to make a choice. Because if she would convert and get baptized, then her future was gone, right? She, was, she had promises, okay, you, could, you can have family wealth, you can go to college, you have, you, your family won't disown you, you won't be alone. But... 
If you want a guaranteed future, you have to stay traditional Chinese, continue ancestor worship, continue what we do. And at 14, she had to make that decision. And God tested her with money, security, family status, and she passed beautifully. She went through the waters with faith, trusting in the plan of God. There's another woman we met who was a teacher. She was, again, another small little town outside of Taipei. She was the lone Christian in this government school, and, and she was willing. The way she actually worded it was, uh, when they find out, I'll be fired. Not if. When they find out that I brought in Christians to teach about the gospel, I will be fired. She brought us in uh, to teach about American culture, and it probably tipped off the authorities because I was tasked with teaching basketball, which those kids learn nothing. <laughs> they learn nothing. This is a true story. Some of the kids, some of the kids actually questioned my American status because not only my height, but also uh, they're like, sure, you're not Irish, but my height and my lack of basketball skills. But I remember the teacher, uh, I remember saying, when, when they find out, she'd lose her job. She'd risk it all. Never mind HR telling, hey, you can't talk about religion at work. Right? Never mind that. Never mind a fear of not being able to pay bills or to eat or any of that. God tested her with security and money. And listen, I shrank. I shrank at these people's faith. Because while this is happening, meanwhile, I'm observing my own life. And I remember at this time in life, I'm hiding my wife's checkbook so we don't have to sacrifice $200 to the church. And I see these people willing to give it all away. A child willing to give away her future. A woman willing to give away her job. I was sightseeing. Saints of great faith. Church, what great leap of faith do we take? I mean, really. What great leap of faith do you actually take to where it will cost you something? Listen, it's not that the cost and the challenges, they're only in Taiwan. They're here. We just, as modern Christians, have become experts at avoiding them. We've become experts at keeping Christianity convenient. Look, God challenged Abraham where it hurt. And I promise, he challenges you too each and every day. You just may not be seeing the test. Look, I ask that you observe your life and see where do you put your identity in? Can you sacrifice your pride, your ambition, and your selfishness, your way of living, your quality of life for something greater? Can we sacrifice our job if it keeps us from being obedient? So real sacrifice should be part of the Christian experience. 
Listen to Christ himself in Matthew 16. says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christ calls you to deny yourself. And where can you say that you deny your appetite for his glory? This demand by Jesus is why, by the way, his following dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. Because following him is costly. We can utter with our lips all day that we love and trust the Lord, but how you live your life speaks to what you actually believe. It speaks to what you actually trust and what you actually love and what you actually worship. Now, something I love about Abraham's story is how many times this man fails. I mean, we've read it week after week. It's like he fa- he's like on a, like a failing tour, right? He's just nonstop. So many tests, so many failures, but God never leaves him, and God wouldn't have left him if he failed here. Because God's love is not contingent on your obedience or on your trust. If it was, he would have left you a long time ago. The hope is that like Abraham, when you see the love of God, when you see his faithfulness, that you can pursue him trusting in God's good and holy plan. And here's the catch. Here's what Abraham and Isaac are about to discover, that when we trust in the plan of God, we get to see the provisions of God. Second point, God's provisions. Verse 7 of 22. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. I'm sure Isaac had been wondering what his father was going to do. What's the sac- where's the lamb? They finally get up there. There's still no lamb. And what I love is that when his dad says, hey, the Lord will provide, he doesn't need all the details of how that's going to play out. Even Abraham, right? He doesn't need all the details. God, you promised to do this, but you told me to sacrifice my kid. Explain to me. Give me the details, and then I'll be obedient. None of that. He simply trusts. Abraham's faith is on display, and it's beautifully being taught to his son Isaac. Isaac trusts his dad that when God says that God will provide, that means God will, in fact, provide. And he promises to give you what you need for you to do what he's asked you to do. And when God commands you to action, he doesn't leave you unequipped to follow him faithfully. Look at verse 9 and 10. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Old man Abraham binds up the young boy. Right? This is not old stallion Abraham out muscling the young stallion, as many as us old stallions would like to believe. This is a father 
who's binding up a willing son. Isaac is stronger. He's younger and willing to do the will of his father. Willing to be sacrificed. But how is it that Abraham could lift a knife at his kid? Could he really stab and sacrifice his son? Yes. Because he trusted in God's plan. He trusted in God's provision. And I want you to look. If you think, how is it that he could do that? Look at what Scripture says about Abraham's faith. In Hebrews 11, 17-19, listen carefully. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. I love that. How was it that Abraham could raise a knife? Because he knew. He knew that death serves our God. That death is a footstool to our God. That both life and death serve the will of our God. He knew that God would provide. It says even if he meant that the Lord would resurrect Isaac. That is faith. Say, God, I trust you with life, with death. You're in control of seemingly the uncontrollable. You are in control. I trust you with this. This is where I think our faith is exposed as weak. Where I think we're left asking, where do we really rely on God? Where in our life do we see a radical reliance? Abraham had to get past all the feelings, both human emotions and human reason. He had to get past all of it that told him to stop and press forward into the knowledge to obey his creator. And notice, Christ says, right, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Christ doesn't say, if you love me and if, it's, if you feel like doing it. If, if the feelings are good, then you, you can obey me. If it's convenient, obey me. No. If you love him, you will obey him. And it is clear that Abraham loved the Lord, truly and deeply. The mark of a faithful Christian is not one that has strong, charismatic feelings or deep intellect, right? There are many Christian theologians who dents to see that they can trust in God's faithful provision. The mark of the faithful are those who are willing to obey and trust in God's plan and provision, And Abraham knew, didn't he? He was able to smother fierce flame with faith. Look at verse 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided a rescue. A ram with a crown of thorns. But the Lord is also providing a picture of something greater. A day 
where the world would see that on the mount of the Lord, salvation would come. That a way, that a rescue would in fact be provided. Which leads me to my final point, God's perspective. Now God is testing Abraham here. right? That's what the chapter, the major theme we see. But I do want to say there's much more at play here. The dynamic between Abraham and Isaac is eerily familiar. A father who sends his only son up a hill with wood on his back, whose plan was to kill him. A son who willingly goes to die, obedient to the point of death, and a son who does his father's will. The dynamic played out is a visual for us of what happened between the first person and the second person of the Trinity. Now, Abraham is obviously not God, and Isaac was not the son who would have to die. But I love that God shares his perspective. He allows these two and all who read his words to get a taste of what our God will have to endure for our sake. Look at verse 17. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. The Lord promises Abraham. He reminds him of the promise. And this text is incredible. 17 and 18 are really incredible. There's so much here that I would inevitably, I think, do it a, a disservice. But as we mentioned last week, that listen, Gentiles... Us Gentiles, Paul is very clear that we are some of the promised children of Abraham, right? The father of many nations. Paul is clear on that. We discussed that last week. But there's more to this promise, and it's greater than you and I. Look at, let's, let's read the rest of 17 and 18. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. What do we notice about this promise? Right, so much awaits the offspring here. This offspring is going to possess the gates of his enemies. This offspring will bless the nations. Now what I want to do is look how Paul teaches this text. How he exposits this, this text. Look at Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ? It would be Christ who would defeat his enemies. Though we as his body are brought along and, being, and we're made more than conquerors, Scripture says. But it is Christ's work that defeats his enemies. It will be Christ who will bless the nations. Yes, we do get to share his gospel and continue to bless the world with the good news, but this started with Christ. It is Christ himself who is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. The promise began with God, and it ends with God. From God's perspective, this story, the faith of Abraham and the blessings that would follow, all of it, it's his story slowly being unfolded for his saints to see. We get to witness his divine and eternal plan that he constructed before the foundations of the world. 
The Lord knew how it would begin, and he knows how it's going to end. And the amazing part that I struggle to comprehend is that this God allows us to be a part of it all. Sinners and saints, Abraham and Isaac, you and I, that we get to play any role in what the Lord is doing. It's incredible. That he provides to ensure that his plan will come to pass, that he pulls back the curtain for us so that we can see what God has been working towards since the beginning, showing us his power, revealing his nature, and giving us his perspective, which bleeds grace. Church, let us pray that we, as a people, can trust his plan that we can trust in his provisions, and that his ways can be our ways, living radically dependent on the goodness and the promises of God. I want to leave you with this, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Praise be to God. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.